0: Um, I do want to highlight some of the announcements that, uh, that Alex brought up. One is for Pastor Roger. Uh, his ordination exam is tomorrow. So if you, if you would like to sit in on that, I think it begins at 9 o'clock, right? Nine, and then it goes all the way till five or so. I think the actual questioning ends around three or four, and then there's like a time where the, the panelists are, are going to talk and see whether or not Roger passed. So we'll find out tomorrow um, evening. Uh, when if you know how roger does I, I trust that he'll do well but pray for him uh, he's been studying a, yeah, a lot to get this thing done on top of all the ministry responsibilities um so you know we want to come alongside our pastor and pray for him and yeah just to be here and to encourage him uh, don't make any audible noises when he answers the questions just you know praise from the inside you know, don't be like yes pastor roger you did it keep going maybe you could do that but just don't be like oh i could answer that one better you know just Keep those comments to yourself because this is very stressful, especially when he's getting grilled by things like four or five different pastors. Uh, the other one I do want to um, highlight as well is the Truth Life Conference. That's like our Cantonese uh, Cantonese Ministry Conference. If you have any family and friends that speak Cantonese, uh, I'll highly encourage you to invite those people to come. Um, this is the, the speaker there is Dr. Wong. He's a he's a I guess he's still teaching at TMU. Um, he's known as one of the most godliest theologians at, at TMU. Uh, I think some people joke that if he died in glory, he pretty much would be maybe a slightly more sanctified, but he's, he's up there um, in terms of just his humility and his knowledge of God's word. Um, there's also a need for um, people to help volunteer. Usually when the, when the English side have some conference or event, the Cantonese people are willing to you know, take time off their weekends to help serve us. So, you know, when they're doing a conference, I think it would be nice if we were able to go and return the favor um, just to show the unity that we have in our church um, so we could serve our, our Cantonese brothers and sisters. Well, that's it. If you have your Bible, please open to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, sorry, Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 34. That's going to be the text for us this evening. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 34. He was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. He goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he has said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Father God, thank you for granting us another opportunity to hear your word preach. Give us attentiveness, especially since the end of the week. Allow us to uh, stay awake and listen to your word as an act of worship to you. And be with me as I preach, and may you be glorified through it. Use your word to transform our lives so that we can be more like your son. This is in your son's precious name. Amen. Why do these things, why do things happen the way that they do? This is a question that some of us answer or ask, especially when things are seemingly out of control. And Yet it is interesting that we ask such a question because in our circles and um, in our understanding of Scripture, God is sovereign over all things. Because sometimes in the moments of confusion and stress, we ask, why do the things happen the way that they do? A few weeks ago, my dryer washer unit broke, and, my f- and Kelly, I think she was slightly happy because she wanted to get rid of the thing. She like, yes, we can get a new one. So we went and we bought a new machine, and it came to our place about two weeks ago. And it was a glorious machine. It was all shiny, but for some reason, it has Wi-Fi capabilities that connect your phone. I don't quite know why you need that, because it's not like the thing can move, and you know, the, the wet clothes it doesn't automatically go to the top. But for some reason, there's this, all these cool gadgets and buttons that come with it. Three days after using it, the dryer broke. And it's one of those units that's connected to one thing, so you can't just replace the top part. You have to replace the entire unit. And so I did. I called. We're still under warranty. And today, they came, and we were all excited. It was like a family affair. We were all, the kids were looking out the window. I was looking out the window, and all these trucks came. And one guy opens this unit, and then he looked, and then everyone just kind of crowds around it and stares at it. And then he looks up at me, and he waves. He tells me to come down. So I did. I walked down. To them and then they said hey man um this unit is broken uh you can tell because there's this dent on the side of this unit." and i said what happened did it was it like that and they said it seemed like it was just built this way uh it probably broke along the way because when the guys picked up and put it picked up the unit put in the truck it was perfectly fine you could see the box it was still in relatively good shape so I asked them, what am I supposed to do with this, uh, this broken unit? They said, well, we can't leave it out here, and we can't put it on the truck, so we'll just install it into your house, because we can't, it's a liability, if we take out your old unit, and all the wires and all the water hodes are still exposed, we don't want to be sued for uh, So we're going to put this broken unit into your unit, and then you're going to call and ask them to ex- give you another one. To which Kelly came down the stairs and was wondering, why am I just uh, talking to these guys? And and, she, and I can look in her eyes when I told her, hey, this thing's broken. She, Just with her eyes, she asked the question, why do things like this happen the way that they do? And I sometimes tell her, really to tell myself, that, uh, that God is sovereign and is for our good. That, that no matter what happens in life, we may not understand why God is doing every little thing and how he's going to use it. In the grand scheme of everything, we can trust that God is good that he's working out the seemingly random things for our good and for his glory. We think about sovereignty. We know that God is in control over everything. But yet, when we think about sovereignty in light of evangelism, sometimes we wonder, why do people respond so differently? There are some people that we can just share the gospel with, we, even, we can be very, really tired and exhausted and, and kind of just share the gospel and talk about dialoguing with someone, and then they can be broken by their sin and come to saving faith. And there are those that we have, you know, we're focused. We know we have every Bible answer in our head. We can answer everything correctly and with precision, and yet their hearts can be hard-hearted. Why does it happen that, like that? Sometimes we don't know. Faithful evangelism and God's sovereignty are not at odds with one another, they just, but they actually work with one another. We don't know how things work out, but we're still called to be faithful in the way that we proclaim God's word. Now, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at when he's explaining this parable. He's teaching this to them. Remember in the entirety of chapter four, he's talking about how there's these four different types of soil when we share the gospel. When we tell people about Jesus Christ, there are four different outcomes and this doesn't mean that there's a 75 percent chance of failure when you're sharing the gospel that's not what the point is it's just that the reality of sharing the gospel is that some people will come to saving faith and they'll grow and they'll multiply in their fruits and others will be will, will have excitement of the gospel but think through the temptations and the trials of the world will be snatched up and it will just be entangled, and things will just fall apart. Others, the, the birds or the devil, will just take the gospel away, and some just have very shallow roots. There's just a reality that when you share the gospel, there are, it's not going to be a guarantee that everyone's going to be saved. I didn't mention this last week, but it's a way for us to, re, to remind all of us that this book is written to Gentile Christians. And the reason why that is... Uh, we can see just by looking at the, the well, we'll eventually get to everything in this book, but the way that this book is written, is written to really show us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But the writer here, Mark, really through Peter, does it in a unique way because there are certain phrases here that, that are words that only Roman people will understand, the more Aramaic type terms. And even the explanation of some of the jewish tradition there's a lot more emphasis and detail because i think it's supposed to let the gentile mind comprehend what's going on here there's also even the way that, that the way time is kept is kept in the roman mind as opposed to the jewish mindset and all of these things is supposed to highlight to the gentile mind why they are supposed to trust in jesus you have to understand the early church being a christian costed them something and it's something that we will eventually have to face ourselves um, these Roman Christians, most likely Roman Christians, were wondering if Jesus is worth following. They were told that they are going to be persecuted, they follow this Messiah, and throughout, and throughout their entire life in the early church, it was very hard to continue on the faith. And I believe that is why the book of Mark was written. So it can encourage those believers that are struggling to know that the kingdom of God is going to spread in ways that is least expected. I don't really have much of an outline for us this evening. I'm just going to walk through the text, but if you were to take notes, I would say this. You could try like a draw a line in the middle of the page, and then on on one half of it you could put man's responsibility, on the other side you could put God's sovereignty. Because as I go through uh, this entire section, you'll see that it will sometimes highlight the responsibility of man as they go and share the gospel. Yet there's God's sovereignty in terms of how he grows and causes change in the life of, of non-believers. So let's, let's walk through the text here. But just have in mind, as you're taking notes, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Because they work together. Why do some people respond a certain way? Because God is sovereign. Why, and, but what are we called to do? To be faithful and be responsible in sharing the gospel. Let's look at verse 26. And he was saying... The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by the day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. And this phrase, kingdom of God, is, is, is actually throughout the entire scriptures. And for the Jewish mind, they knew what this meant. They knew that God had made a promise to his people that they're going to be a land where, the, where God's people is going to inhabit and where God is going to reign. And they're going to be a blessing to the whole world. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there was this, always this promise of where am I going to get this land? And we see it from Abraham all the way to, uh, well, basically going through the book of Numbers. You know that they were always anticipating, as, as getting, anticipating this land as well as getting rid of the Canaanites. Eventually they own the land, they're part of this land, and they lose the land because of their unfaithfulness. But there is still this promise that God has made that God will one day bring back his people. So they have an understanding, at least they know that there's going to be this kingdom that is going to come. But it is not what they expect. Because the kingdom of God, in their minds, they thought that Jesus was going to come and he was going to uh, overthrow the Roman Empire and then Jesus is going to reign, but it was not like that. Instead of having a crown on Jesus, he was given a crown of thorns. Instead of uh, elevated and sitting on a throne, he was elevated to the cross. Instead of an actual literal kingdom, there were just little pockets of disciples here and There. And for many of them, they assumed that the kingdom of God meant that the Messiah was was here, and there was going to be paradise. But they misunderstand that God was going to go, come in the first time through the through Jesus Christ and to rescue them from their own sin. So when he says the kingdom of God here, he's speaking of just the place and the people that are faithful to the Lord. What Jesus said and did. Went against what was assumed about what the kingdom of God was supposed to be. The kingdom of God is the people and a place where God rules. And Christians now and later, uh, there's going to be a place where God will. We know that the believer, that the Lord dwells in us. In the sense, we represent God in that way. The church is an, is is, the, is actually not the physical building, but the people that inhabit it. That's where the kingdom of God is seen. But He describes it this way. Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And this man is unnamed, and he just seems to be doing his job as a farmer and which is to just sow seed. And this is how God works. God is using just regular human beings to fulfill his kingdom. He is just is fulfills kingdom purposes. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is someone who is just, you know, rather ordinary. It's very rare that you see in Scripture that God will use someone that is famous or really gifted. And if they are those individuals, they, they oftentimes have to be humbled before they're used by the Lord. Think about someone like the Apostle Paul. He was an exceptional figure, but yet he had to be humbled. He had to be uh, made blind for a while, and he had to give up everything. He gave up all his riches, and he, even Paul said that he gave up everything for the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. And the reason why that is is because God uses ordinary people to hold this extraordinary, extraordinary message about Jesus Christ so that man will not boast about their own giftedness. So in case anyone thinks, well, it's because of my, 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 my mental capacity, my skill set, my oratory skills, instead of, instead of making them about themselves, God humbles people so that it could be more about God what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. God uses regular people like you and me to go and help expand the kingdom of God through the preaching and teaching of God's word. Through evangelism in a regular, normal, everyday lives. is how the kingdom of God is expanded. Do you see your ordinary life as this unique opportunity to win people to Christ? It can be very tempting to think, well, if only a certain politician or a certain celebrity or a certain influencer, if only those people would all come into saving faith, then the gospel will be heard and everyone will know Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to not think in that way. Do not outsource evangelism to other people, but own up to it. See that the life that you have right now is given to you by God. And the ordinary life that's given that you have, use it in an extraordinary way because we worship an extraordinary God. God uses regular people like you and me. It's the ordinary moments with ordinary people that could bring God bring people into the kingdom of God. Notice that this farmer he just casts seed upon the soil. This isn't to say that the farmer is aloof, like he's just not like Walking around saying, ooh, he's not he's at, he, there's a there's a deliberateness to it. He's not he's not he's not like the people throwing candy around. He is actually planning. He's a hard working farmer. This farmer is focused on his job and he just does his work. He is a hard working farmer. This his job is to sow seed and is, and he's consistent in that and he is faithful in doing that. You have to ask yourself, are you faithful and consistent in sowing the seed of the gospel to those that are in your life? It is very easy for us to forget our job. We need to be faithful in declaring the truth of scripture to those around us. I would argue that the reason why Christianity has lost his influence in the culture is because Christians became apathetic to sharing the gospel to those in their neighborhoods or in their schools or in their workplace— we become so fearful, or we can become lazy. But that's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like this farmer that is just faithfully and diligently scattering the seed of the gospel wherever he's at. In your, or, in your very ordinary, everyday life, are you faithful in sowing the seed of the gospel to those that are in your life? Think about your classmates. Think about your family members. Think about your neighbors. There's so many people in your life and just around your proximity that do not know Jesus Christ. And God has placed you there with a unique privilege to go and sow the seed of the gospel. Verse 27. And he goes to bed at night and, get, and gets up by day. I think that's like, don't use this as your key life verse. And he goes to bed at night. Like, yes, that's my key verse. Like, don't get that as a tattoo. Uh, but see in its context, this farmer this person who sows seed he he does his job in the morning and at nighttime he just goes to bed MacArthur calls this the theology of sleep and this is idea that if you're faithful in declaring god's word if you're faithful in evangelizing to loss there's no need to worry you don't need to worry and think back and second guess yourself about whether or not you did the right thing as long as you present the gospel faithfully the rest is up to lord so get some rest Though he is faithful, he isn't worried about the outcomes. This sower is not waking up at night, lighting his little lamp, and then running out into the field and to see if there was any growth in the middle of the night. He just goes to bed. He knows that he cannot do anything anymore. He did what his job, he did it with a clear conscience, he did all that's expected of him, and he goes straight to bed. He goes about his life normally. He doesn't worry and that's what I think sometimes even for us as Christians, I know there are people in life that we are sharing the gospel to and we're sharing the gospel with them and we're pleading with them in the daytime or whenever we have these opportunities to talk with them and we worry about them. But yet we're reminded that we are not the ones that cause the growth. We are just called to go and share the gospel and the Lord is the one that's going to cause the growth in the life of this person. You see it says that and the seed sprouts and growth. There's this disassociation between the farmer what he did and what the soil and what the seed is doing inside the soil he's not responsible to what is about to happen he just does what he does and the seed does what it does you see it says how he himself does not know he doesn't know and the word know here it's it's actually the way that's written in english it's just that he doesn't know but in the greek it's this idea he didn't know back then he didn't know what he was doing he doesn't even know up until the present time, and even into the future, this farmer lacks the understanding, which isn't surprising. You know, no one, even in modern time, fully understands how it works. They can explain to you what is happening, but they don't. They can't really explain to you how this works. Like, why is it that you put seed in the soil, you water and sunlight? Why does it happen? They can explain to you what is happening. They can say, "Oh, well, this because this thing is." you know, the seed breaks and then all the stuff comes out and it goes up to the sun and gets nutrients. They can explain what they're seeing, but they cannot explain to you why that happens. And they cannot explain why it doesn't happen. They can only make the observations. Sciences, at the best, even in modern times, cannot understand the why things happen. They can only explain how, or really just reporting to you what they see. It seems like a very supernatural thing back then, and in a lot of ways it is. Seeds are amazing, My Kids have these little pumpkin seeds, and they're just laid out in the kitchen right now. And at a random time, they can just put that in the soil, and then suddenly a pumpkin can come out in, at one day in time. Uh, you have to, you know, have to teach them about like, you know, taking care of the thing. They killed a strawberry a few weeks ago. But you understand that we don't understand how this works. Somehow the seed, you can just leave it somewhere, and, at a, and when, it's, when it's ready, when you put it in the soil and you take care of it, then it, sometimes it grows and sometimes it doesn't. This sower is the same way. He just does his work, and he isn't caught up about what is happening with the seed. Jesus taught, that the, taught this parable to people who can identify with this farmer. We are not sure how this happens, but it just does. And That's the same way when it comes to evangelism. Like I said earlier, there's some times we are sharing the gospel with someone, you plead with them, you beg them, and then they actually get saved. They see your compassion for them, they're moved by what you're saying, and they come to saving faith. Other times you can just kind of Passively, you could get in this really heated argument and have all the right answers and they don't get saved. Why does that happen? We don't know. Uh, the only thing we're called to do is to evangelize faithfully. We will not have, uh, we will not know who's going to get converted or why they get converted. We just see it and we know that God is the one that causes the growth. We just share the gospel and God changes the hearts. The growth is not up to us, but it's up to God. It's God's job. So we just need to be faithful in sowing the seed and not to be worried. Verse 28 the soil produces crop by itself first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. And the soil, it seems like it says that it produces the crop by itself. The plant doesn't grow based on the person's timing. It's not based on the person's effort. It's not even based on the person's understanding of the seed and the soil. God is the one that decides who is his and who isn't. And it says here, by itself, in verse 28, that's the same word as where we get the word automatic. It's apart from the agency of man. Yes, we are responsible in sharing the gospel. Yes, we're even responsible in representing God and being a light in the dark world. That's what we... uh, taught on last week. We were responsible for all the things that God has instructed us, but we're not responsible in terms of the conversion of non-believers. This is supposed to be encouraging to to those that are reading this. Remember that the original Christians, as they're reading this, they're struggling as believers. They're sharing the gospel, and they're being persecuted for it. At the time of this writing, Nero hasn't begun to burn Christians yet. But there was already hostility from the Jewish uh, community, and it, those Gentiles—they probably lost friends and family that, are, that worship other pagan religions as well. And they're wondering, why isn't it working? Why isn't this gospel converting my loved ones? And the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through Mark or Peter, and then Mark, and then to the reader, it's supposed to encourage them: no, to not worry. As long as you're faithful in sharing the gospel. You can just go to rest. You go, take, go, go to sleep. You don't need to worry. That is not your responsibility. Our responsibility is to be faithful in the way that we represent Jesus Christ in our conduct and in the way that we share the gospel. But the growth, the conversion itself belongs to the Lord so that we cannot boast about our giftedness, but we can boast about the Lord when we see someone come to saving faith. Notice, Verse 20, it says, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. This is this, this natural development to maturity. This is just how the life of a plant goes. It goes from this blade and then the head and then the mature grain in the head. And we see, again, this paradox here where the plant is growing and it develops all of these different things. But yet the reason why it grows is because God is one that causes the growth. And we know that's just how our life is as well. We know that the Bible gives us specific commands. We're called to trust and obey God's word. But at the same time, we know that the reason why we trust in God's word is because God worked in our life to believe and trust his word. And why do we even go about doing God's word? Because God enables us to do so. through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Paul writes, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect you, until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's this seemingly two things going on at once, that we are called to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, and yet God is the one that's empowering us to do so. This doesn't mean let go and let God, but rather it's hold on to God and the Lord's holding on to you. Which one is which, that's not something that we can figure out. Whenever I hold my child's hand, my child thinks he's holding mine or she's holding mine. She doesn't realize that, no, I'm the one that's actually keeping you from falling off the balcony. I'm not, I don't hang my kids over the balcony, but you know what I mean, right? I hold my kids. They think they're holding on to me because their hand is holding on to me, but they don't realize the strength, the reason why they're suspended in the air is because of me, because of my doing. But it's both, right? Like, if she lets go, then, uh, then, uh, you know, then she'll fall, or if I let go, then she'll fall. I'm a terrible dad. But anyways... Uh, but when, you know, our Heavenly Father is not like that. He will never let us go because He is the one that's going to hold on to us. He's going to keep us through. This is what Philippians 1, six tells us. God is the one that's going to cause the growth and He's going to cause us to reach glorification as well. Verse 29, But when the crop permits, He merely puts, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is, again speaks of how the result is outside of the farmer's hand. This, he puts in the seed and it just grows. Eventually, there's going to be a time where there's going to be a gathering of all the results, the produce. The growth of the plant cannot be forced by the farmer, and God is the only one that can truly cause change. Jesus instructs the disciples to preach the gospel, but in the end, it is up to God who saves. James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord... The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your heart for the coming of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is near. These are just parallel passages in terms of for us to understand that as faithful farmers, we wait a lot of times. Sometimes we're faithful and share in the gospel. The growth will come in time. The timing itself is not up to us. I know it can be very difficult, especially for some of us that have elderly parents or relatives. We want them to come to Saving Faith now, and we can be just, just distraught by it, but knowing that they might, they're just maybe days or weeks away from eternity. But yet, I think this passage here is supposed to encourage us to know that the time is not in our hands. We need to trust the Lord. That He will cause a growth. We can intercede. We can pray for them, but it is not our job to save the person. Don't make, uh, don't make it. Um, it doesn't again doesn't mean that we can't pray for them. It doesn't mean that um, we don't share the gospel with them. But it just does mean that we're not in control of all things. I think that's some of the hard parts about being a Christian when we see our non-believing relatives and of denying the faith. We think it's our fault. We think we could have done better. Now, I I will say that if you you haven't shared the gospel with them, then that might be, that is yours, that is on you. But if you're faithful and diligent in living a faithful life and sharing the gospel with them, that's not on you. Kind of like in Ezekiel where it talks about the, the watchman that's supposed to wash the tower, and if he goes and tells people that the enemy is coming and they don't listen, then that's not on him. It's not on the watchman's fault. It's not on the watchman's hands, or if he sees the enemy coming and he chooses not to warn the people, then he's in trouble. It's the same way with us. As long as we're faithful, we can trust the result to the Lord no matter what happens. And it says here at the end of verse 29, it says, he immediately puts it puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And what does this mean? This is actually the hardest part for me this last week as I was studying through this I think it means that we get to assist in part of God's redemptive plan. Right? We get to see the, the, we see the farmer planting the seed and then eventually God gathering them. We, see, we get to be part of that redemptive plan. You aren't the one that, that came up with a salvation plan. You're not the one that became the sacrificial lamb to give people salvation. You're, you're not the one that's going to sustain a person's salvation. You're not going to bring that person's salvation to completion. Your job is again is to share the gospel, but when sometimes you will see that, the most encouraging thing I think for all believers is when someone comes to saving faith, is when they go from living in the dark to living in the light, when they have a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. We see that and we rejoice. And the scripture tells that even angels rejoice when, they, when someone gets converted. People who trust God, will not be discouraged when the result is not what they want or the timing that they want. They trust in God in all things. And We get to see, sometimes, we can see God using us and causing people to become believers, or unfortunately for some, we can see how the Lord has hardened their heart and they deserve judgment as well. So what is our responsibility? Again, sow the seed of the gospel and Watch God do his work. We get to share by watching God do the supernatural work. God's word is indeed powerful. And, and that again, it's to remind us that Christianity is not a spectator sport. Yes, we get to watch God, but we are also participants in it. We get to be part of it by sharing the gospel, by representing him, and to, and to be used by God to draw others to him. And why did Jesus speak of this? Why did Jesus... Share this parable. Again, I think Mark recorded this message for Christians that are suffering for Christ to know that their labors in evangelizing is not in vain and that the result is in the hand of God. Whether that means it is to, is to use to harden the hearts of, of unbelievers or to rescue those and snatch them into the fire, you get to see it in both. You get to see both happening. And that, and that is an exciting thing to see God's grace and even, his judgment and even his holiness being displayed on both ends. For those that are frustrated and discouraged and so in sowing the gospel, you need to understand that God's, God's mystery in saving those whom he chooses. We think about the culture and how things seem to get so much worse every single month and year. We should be encouraged to know that we're still called to be faithful and share in the gospel. Our main responsibility in this life is to sow the seed of the truth for those who do not know him. You share, and God is the one who saves. You share, and God will save. The disciples, remember the original context, they were probably reading this and and just thinking, yeah, God is faithful in fulfilling his word. Because I would imagine, by the time the Roman Gentile Christians are reading this, the gospel has spread. They are our recipients of God's grace because of these faithful disciples in the beginning. The disciples at the time was a small number of people, and when you look at church history, you'll see that, that, it will, that the church will always be a small group of people, but yet God is still going to be the one preserving the gospel and building the church. Look at verse 30. And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed which is sown upon the soil, so it is smaller than all the seed there that are upon the soil. So he, Jesus is basically trying to teach them, trying to say the same thing differently. Um, the people heard the parable and they uh, see this as almost like a riddle. And riddle in our days is parable to them. Do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what I mean by that? A riddle to us is like a parable to them. Like a, a riddle in our days, like you say some riddle and then you're supposed to. Using the limit, the information you have, you're supposed to figure out what the riddle is about. A parable functions the same way. They're supposed to think about what they're hearing. Uh, people that desire God and they hear Jesus speak in parables, they're actually going to be critical and think through these things. Uh, the people that have no desire for things of the kingdom of God or of the Lord, they'll hear the riddle or the parable, and they'll just say, okay, Jesus is just talking about plants here. I'm out of here. Why do I need to listen to this guy? People that are drawn to the Lord will try to apply uh, thought and skill to know what Jesus is saying. When we get to verse 31. Uh, Jesus describes this mustard seed which is sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. Yet when it's sown, it grows, it becomes large in all the garden plants and forms large branches. So this verse here is, it's the verse that liberal Christians or Or skeptics of the Bible try to say, see, the Bible is filled with errors. So those are your into apologetics. You might encounter this verse from your non-believing friends and coworkers or whoever. They might say, Jesus is lying here. See, Jesus said that the smallest seed is this mustard seed. But we know in our day that there there are smaller seeds out there. There are smaller seeds than the mustard seed. Therefore, if God speaks truth and God's word is true, that statement is not true. Therefore, God is not true. And the Bible is false and we could just do whatever we want. But again, this is where you can read things in context because if you read it, it says, uh, the mustard which is sown upon soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. So even though, yes, there are seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed, even to today, the mustard seed is still the small seed that you can put in the soil that can grow and become as plant that can grow, you know, that's where we get mustard from, is from these little mustard seeds. A mustard seed is, a side of little, is the size of a little grain, and uh, even, so today, this is true, that the mustard seed it is the smallest seed that can be grown into a plant. So take that, liberal, liberal friends. Um, but even then, at that time, at, even in, in their context, they understood that this mustard seed is the smallest little seed that can grow and make, and it can grow into this huge plant. A mustard seed can, um, can become the dominant plant in the garden when it gets super big, and when it grows, it can grow up in this matter of weeks, it can grow up to 15 feet high. It eventually, even says that the bird will rest on it. At the end of verse 32, the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And it's interesting, because if you look at, I think you, some of your side reference, might have things that they, the, air, the birds put up a tent as if they can, you know, build something there. But the idea is that the birds are able to sit there. These things get so big that little birds can actually enjoy and make a home on these plants. And there's a lot of, there's, I guess there's two views on what this means. Like, is bird sitting on these plants? Isn't that a bad thing? Because earlier in chapter four, there's this, the, it talks about how Satan is this bird that goes and plucks down the, the seed from, of the gospel away. Are, are we saying that these plants are going to inhabit the, uh, the devil and therefore um, become this uh, stumbling block and this thing that takes away the gospel? Because that is one of the views, that they look at this and they say, well, see, this is why the church cannot uh, cooperate with the world. This is like when, when Constantine uh, became the uh, legalized Christianity there was a corruption of Christianity or whenever there are Christi- where Christianity uh, um, you know, joins with the world that 's like having this bird like nesting on this tree and then going and snatching away the seeds. The other view is that these birds are up on this tree and they 're being blessed by it that this small little seed eventually grows in this place where it provides shade and it provides food and it provides nesting for the birds. I do believe that in the context of this chapter, it seems to be more on the, second, on, the, on the second view, that when Christians, when the gospel is faithfully lived out and spread throughout history and throughout the culture, there is a positive impact. When you think about things like what the Red Cross was supposed to be, or, or Salvation Army, or Orphanages. These were Christians that understood that man is made in the image of God and we need to go and take care of them. When the gospel is spread, there is a positive impact that is in the world. So that's, that's how I view what, this, what uh, Jesus is saying here when he's using this reference, is that there, are, uh, there is going to be a positive impact when Christians are faithful in sharing the gospel. Verse Thirty-two shows us that even though something that this small little mustard seed, even though it seems so insignificant at first, is something that can uh, grow up to be something that can cause, you know, do great things and can impact the world in a positive way. We may not see it in our lifetime, but we've seen it in the past. It may not happen again. By the way, we know that God is the one that causes the growth. That God, in His sovereign plan, will decide how our, the gospel will impact the culture, then that is not up to us. We may want the culture to change faster, and that may not be part of God's plan. But that does not mean that we cannot be faithful in declaring the gospel to those around us. Verse 33, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Mark's concluding this section about regarding the parables, and this is again uh, this these two parables, particularly verse 26 and 29. That that's a parable that's only uniquely in the Gospel of Mark. But he concludes this here by saying that he speaks in these parables, and parables are a way for people to discern whether or not they truly are believers, should they truly seek after God, or those that are just. You know, they just want to be around Jesus because of all the cool stories that he tells or the food that he provides. Parables is a way to kind of sift those people out. Because if Jesus keeps talking in parables, people that do not care about learning about the truth, they're not going to continue listening, right? I mean, that's why, when, that's why the prosperity gospel draws certain types of crowds. But the moment you stop teaching uh, the prosperity gospels are teaching the actual biblical truth people will eventually flee i uh had a conversation with someone this week about sfbc and he talked about how before pastor henry came a lot of the teaching was very shallow it was a lot of stories a lot of interesting things and the moment pastor henry came and started preaching god's word there was a little exodus people did not want to hear god's word anymore they don't want to hear preached. They'll enjoy the story. They enjoyed their ears being tickled. And that's what I think Jesus does or did in the past. He spoke in parables so that those who desire to learn truth will continue following him. But those who have no interest in the things of God will eventually be turned away. They will lose interest and they will leave. You'll see in verse 34, it says that, and he did not speak to them without apparel, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples jesus kept jesus kept on teaching and it took time and eventually his disciples understood it they and the reason why they understood is, yes the holy spirit worked in their life but they actually really desired god they had desire for the lord and the things of god made sense to them the parables are only written down by the holy spirit and mark does and mark here he says that it's almost like a summary statement he did not speak to them without a parable. He, it's, or verse 34, like with many such parables, meaning that this is just a sample of all the parables that Jesus has spoke. And it's, it, I look forward to the day one day when I get to see Jesus and ask, what were all the different parables that you shared? Because in the, in, even in the book of John, at the very end, if, if we were to write down everything that Jesus has done, everything he said, uh, I suppose that the world will not be able to contain everything. I would love to just sit down at the foot of Jesus and just to hear all of the ways that he taught. How, what illustrations did he use? What, did he, what else did he do? Um, it would just be just a fascinating thing to just to hear how Jesus taught people. So why do some people seek and why do others don't? Now, from the man's human responsibility it's because some people desire God, some people desire truth, and others do not. But from a big, from like big picture, we don't know. But there are going to be those that refuse to seek and to find truth, and there will be those who want to know truth. And the reason why these people want to know truth is because God caused them to desire him. But our job in this life is to trust God's word and to obey it. And part of obeying means that we go and tell other people about God's word. We tell other people to trust God's word. Non-believers have no interest in the things of God. Yes, we pray and we ask God to cause the growth, But it is not our responsibility to do that. We don't make, uh, we don't cause the growth to happen. Again, think about the original audience as they're reading this. They're probably alone. A lot of them, like, separated from their family. They were probably cut off. They lost their inheritance. They lost their job. And, you know, in a not-so-distant future, even here, it it might be like that. People think that, oh, you're a Christian. You go to that church. You believe in this. You don't believe in what we believe. We're gonna cancel you. We're gonna ask you to not work here anymore. It can be a it can seem like a very lonely thing to be a Christian. But I would encourage each and every single one of you just to be faithful, to, to see that the, the gospel ministry that you have, that you don't become ashamed of the gospel, that you go and you share the gospel and trust that the Lord will cause the growth, not for your own comfort, not so that life can be easier for you, but because you want God's name to be known. You want people to glorify him. You want other people to trust in him. So I encourage you, just like how Mark encouraged the original readers, to keep sowing the seed of the gospel. Be like this faithful sower that just did what he was supposed to do. He was diligent in his work, and he went to bed trusting that the Lord will cause the growth. Trust God that will change lives. Be faithful to go and touch other people's lives with the gospel. The sower can cause a growth. Only God does. So we don't need to worry. But all we need to do is trust in God's word and go tell others about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you again for this reminder about the importance of being the faithful sower the faithful like this faithful farmer where we go and share the gospel but we know that it can be it can cause us great angst great fear knowing that some of our friends and loved ones could potentially deny you and lord we know that that is a reality whichever outcome it may be we know that we can glorify you in light of light of whatever happens lord because we know that whatever happens it is for our good and it will magnify your glory in all of eternity Lord, give us the courage to share the gospel to those around us. May we be found faithful in your eyes that we are indeed, um, like, like, like what scripture describes, that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And may we be, all of us here in this room and in this church, be those few laborers that go and tell people about Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. In your son's precious name, amen.